Appendix Part One of the Life of Reverend Henry Martin by John Hall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Abdul Masih. The following interesting history of this convert is given in a report of the Church Missionary Society. He was born at Delhi. His original name was Sekh Sali. His father is considered a learned man, and gains a livelihood by teaching children. Sekh Sali was instructed by his father, and made considerable proficiency both in the Persian and Arabic languages. When he was about twenty-one years of age, he came with his father to Lucknow, in quest of employment, and after some time became Munshi, first to an English merchant, and then to an officer in the East India Company's service. At this time Abdul was so zealous a Mussulman that he induced a Hindu servant of the above officer to become a Mohammedan. The master, finding some fault with him for his officiousness, he was so offended as to leave his employ, and return to Lucknow, with a determination of having no more communication with the British. After this he engaged in a variety of pursuits, and visited different parts of the country, being always very attentive, and endeavouring to render others so to the Mohammedan observances. At length, after having been about a year in some situation under the Nabob of Lucknow, he went into the Mahratta country, and engaged as a trooper in the service of Ibrahim Ali Khan, one of the chieftains of the Javudapur Raja. While under the command of this chief, Mir Khan, another chieftain, at that time in the service of the same Raja, was sent to murder Rao Skivak Singh, the rival of the Javudapur Raja. This transaction is well known in India. Mir Khan swore on the Koran that he came to mediate a peace between his employer and the Rao, whom he no sooner decoyed into his tent than, having gone out on some pretense, he caused the cords of it to be cut, and ordered his attendants to stab the visitors involved in its folds. The ill-fated Rao cut his way through the folds of the tent with a dagger, and bravely defended himself, until overpowered by numbers. His head was severed from his body, and after being carried about in triumph, was sent to the Raja. This Kivak Singh, Abdul relates, was a young man of very interesting appearance, and pity for his untimely death, with the horror excited by the sight of his head, exposed as a spectacle, raised a feeling of disgust at the perfidy of mankind. Abdul had hitherto been a stranger to such treachery, and considering, as he says, that he himself was liable to be made the executioner of equally inhuman measures, he resolved on quitting the army, and earning his bread in some peaceful way, by any labour, however degrading. This determination he put into practice, and returning to Lucknow, supported himself by preparing green paint. At the end of about a year, Abdul went to Kanpur to visit his father, at that time engaged as private tutor in the house of a rich native, who lived in the premises next to those of the Reverend Henry Martin. He here heard of Mr. Martin's preaching to the poor natives, who assembled on the lawn before his house on Sundays. He determined to go, as he expressed it, to see the sport. Mr. Martin was explaining the commandments to the people, when Abdul went to hear, and he was struck with the observations that were made, and considered them as both reasonable and excellent. He had previously been perplexed about the contradictions maintained by the different Mohammedan sects, 
and this Christian instruction appeared to him better than any he had as yet received. He told his father what opinion he had formed, and begged him to get him some employment at Cawnpore, where he might hear more of these things. His father was acquainted with a friend of Sabat, who was then living with Mr. Martin, and through this friend Abdul was engaged, in May 1810, to copy Persian writings for Sabat. He obtained a lodging on the premises, without making known his wishes. Here he had many opportunities of obtaining the information which he desired, particularly by inquiring of the native Christian children the subjects of the lessons which they had learned in school, and by this mode he was enabled to gain some insight into divine truth. When Mr. Martin had finished his translation of the New Testament into Hindustani, the book was given Abdul to bind. This he considered as a fine opportunity, nor did he let it slip. On reading the word of God, he discovered his state, and perceived therein a true description of his own heart. He soon decided in favor of the Christian religion, but still concealed what was passing within him, till Mr. Martin being about to leave Cawnpore on account of his health, Abdul could no longer refrain from asking his advice with respect to his future conduct, earnestly desiring at the same time to be baptized. It was agreed that he should go down to Calcutta with Sabat and Mr. Martin, from whom he received a solemn warning of the danger of a false profession. During the short period of Mr. Martin's stay at Calcutta, he was not entirely convinced of this man's real change of heart. Recommending him, therefore, to the notice of the late Reverend David Brown, he departed without gratifying Abdul's wish for baptism. After five months' further delay, Mr. Brown, having observed his conduct, and being satisfied with it, baptized him in the old church on Whit Sunday, 1811. On this occasion, Mr. Brown wrote to a friend, On Sunday last, I publicly baptized Sech Salih. It was a most solemn and heart-affecting occasion. Private notice was given that it would be in the afternoon. Good people of all ranks attended, and in the evening I preached on the subject. This has made a very serious impression at Calcutta. I have had a great satisfaction in the event. The circumstances of his case were remarkable. May we every Whit Sunday witness similar wonders of grace. I made full investigation, and was thoroughly satisfied with the sect's account of his conversion. His Christian name is Abdul Masih, Servant of Christ, a particular circumstance leading to the selection of that name. From this period he was noticed by some among Mr. Brown's congregation, and gained from their instruction a growing acquaintance with his own fallen state, and the remedy provided for it through the Saviour. From Whitsunday 1811 till last July, Abdul continued to reside in Calcutta. Much opposition he met with from the Mohammedans, who made him many offers of money, etc., if he would renounce Christianity or leave the place. Twice, on frivolous pretenses, he was summoned before the British magistrate and discharged with costs. Under these circumstances, his temper has appeared to great advantage, and invariably such as one should have wished. To put an end to these vexations, he was advised to remove to Chinsura in July, where his conversation and example produced a good effect on many, especially on a Roman Catholic Portuguese and the son of an Armenian priest, 
who have both expressed an intention of following him up the country, that they may enjoy his company and partake of his labours. The Reverend Mr. Corey accompanied Abdul on a missionary tour in India, and from the journal which he kept the following extracts are made. Whilst this narrative gives evidence of the zeal and piety of the individual, and thus exemplifies the power of religion, it is interesting as a specimen of the method which missionaries have to pursue in pagan countries, and as proof of the great importance of having native converts employed in this work. 1812, November 20th. We left the neighborhood of Calcutta, having two friends in company. There was a large party of boatmen and servants. November 29th. We rested in a lonely place. In the afternoon, Abdul collected the boatmen and others on the bank, to the number of about forty, and preached to them. He began and ended with a hymn, after the manner of the Asiatic religious, in which he was joined by the Christian children and servants. His discourse was from the latter end of the first chapter of St. Matthew. He spoke of our sinful state by nature, adducing many proofs observable in their own life and conversation, which render a Saviour necessary, enlarged on the birth of Christ without sin, that he might be a suitable surety for sinners, the meaning of his name, Jesus, Emmanuel, bringing forward proofs of his divine power, and pointing out the salvation which he bestows. The latter part was very satisfactory indeed, as an evidence of his acquaintance with the change which passes in the Christian's mind. His discourse was intermixed with exhortations to embrace the religion of the only Saviour, some, it seems, set light by what they heard. Others approved, and said, his book contained more weighty truths than their shosters. December 5th, Saturday. We arrived in the neighborhood of a Christian friend, and our party went from the boats to pass the Sunday at his house, and found, literally, in the wilderness, God present in our little assembly. Abdul could not get the boatmen to attend him, and therefore, taking the Christian children with him, he went to a village at a little distance, and began to sing his hymn. The whole village, men, women, and children, soon gathered round him. He explained to them the Ten Commandments, and enforced their obligation. They heard with much attention. December 29th. At Dinapore we were gratified with the sight of a large school of native children kept by the Baptist missionaries. They have another school in a neighboring village. One of the missionaries told me that Mr. Martin's name is held in great esteem by the natives here, and that the schools which he had instituted when here had rendered the way easier, for the people now send their children to school without scruple. I remember it was not so when Mr. Martin began his schools. 1813, January 3, Sunday. Our boat stayed at Ribbon Gunge. In the afternoon, Abdul went into the bazaar and preached. At first, the people showed no attention, but gradually one and another stood, till a crowd collected, and more attention seemed excited than at any place before. After he had finished his discourse, the people gathered round him and asked many questions about the names which he had mentioned. Three came down to his boat with him, and passed a good deal of the evening in conversation writing down from his lips what he told them in brief of the Christian truth. January 7th, at Baxar. 
Early in the morning walked with Abdul toward the European barracks. On drawing near, some of the native wives of the soldiers recognized me, and several came out and expressed their gladness to see me, and said they should be happy to have public worship. These had been of my congregation at Chunar. Abdul expressed great satisfaction, and observed that this was the first time he had seen native Christians desire divine service. About ten, we had public worship with the Europeans, the commanding officer attending. About twenty native Christians, mostly women, assembled in another place with Abdul. After reading prayers, he was led to discourse long on subjects which occurred at the time, and says he never felt his heart so drawn out during any exercise as here. Several, also, of the congregation were affected, even to tears. January 10th, Sunday. Rested at Gazipur. In the afternoon, Abdul walked into the native town, met with the chief landowner in the place and neighborhood, a man of wealth and of great good nature, and much esteemed among his own people as a holy man. After some conversation, he invited Abdul to his house, where about a hundred people were assembled, before whom much discussion took place about religion. The above person showed more disposition to attend than any of them, and begged to have two copies of St. Matthew, and two of Persian, and that all the translations should be sent him from time to time. January 14th. We reached Benares. On Friday, Abdul went up to Sekrol, to visit a native doctor there of Portuguese origin. They had much conversation together, with which the above person expressed himself greatly delighted. He thankfully accepted a copy of the morning prayer and litany, promising to begin worship in his family. Abdul visited other native Christians there with less satisfaction. In returning to his boat, he had a long discussion with a crowd of Muslims. On Saturday, Abdul went to Chunar, and on Sunday forenoon held public worship there. On that, but few attended, but those were greatly affected, many of them even to loud sobbing and tears. They earnestly requested that he would preach again the next day, which he did to a large assembly, and on Tuesday also. They heard with great attention, and detained him long afterwards with inquiries on the subject on which he had addressed them, a party came down to his boat, begging he would read the scriptures to them, and adding, Alas, when Master was here, meaning Mr. Corey, who had been chaplain at Chunar, we paid too little attention to his labors. Would you were to remain among us? January 22. At Mirzapur, a young man came on board who said he had followed from Chunar on purpose to hear more from Abdul, and to beg a copy of the translation. He is the son of a Zemindar, and appears serious, and full of inquiries. He said he knew that in the latter days all shall become of one religion, and he supposed the time to be at hand. January 23. In the morning we arrived at Alalhabad. The concourse of people assembled to celebrate the annual bathing season was unusually great. Everyone that bathes at the junction of the Ganges and Juma pays to government a rupee, and from a calculation made two days before the close of the festival, it was expected that 250,000 rupees would be collected. Those who drown themselves pay an additional sum to government. One poor wretch had drowned himself with the usual ceremonies before our arrival. Several more had signified their intention of doing so at the eclipse of the sun on February 1, 
and many, it was expected, as is annually the case, would, from the pressure of the crowd, be thrust beyond their depth, and perish in the waters. The sight of such a multitude, collected on so deplorable an occasion, could not but affect a feeling mind. And is not the error of Balaam chargeable on those who, possessing the vision of the Almighty, love and receive the wages of such superstitious iniquity? In going to the house of a merchant, Abdul passed by a mosque, where they were beginning prayers. He went to the door, but did not go in, lest they should raise a complaint against him for defiling their place. The reader began, O God, enlighten our hearts with the light of faith. Abdul said aloud, Amen. The reader looked round with astonishment, and after observing, began again the same sentence, to which Abdul again repeated aloud, Amen. The reader proceeded, and Abdul was silent the rest of the service. When it was ended, some of them came round him and inquired, You said Amen to the first sentence, but to no other. Why was this? Abdul, because the first sentence was right, and was the prayer of holy men of old, but the latter part is an invention of late date. Query, how do you make that appear? Abdul, you add the name of Abubakar to that of Muhammad, so that, by your own confession, that is added since Muhammad's time. Some of them now suspected, and inquired if he were not such an one. This led to an understanding, and a long dispute, in which he explained to them many of our customs and worship, and made appeals to their conscience. One asked if he were not affected by the contempt of his former friends, and wondered he could be so hardened as thus openly to contend for Christianity. Abdul, I am indeed affected, and my heart by no means approves of your opposition. And you know that at Lucno, had such things been said to me, how I should have resisted. But now I am withheld. I am no longer in my own keeping, but in the power of another. These asked who that might be. He answered, I am restrained and enabled to bear your reproach by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were silent. He went last to an old merchant, who has a house at Delhi, where he formerly resided, and with some of whose children Abdul was educated. He treated Abdul with more affection than any of the others, and was much moved by his exhortations to seek salvation from Christ at the eleventh hour. He, and two others of the whole crowd assembled, took a copy of St. Matthew's Gospel. Many might have been given away, but where no disposition appeared to read them, it was thought best not to give them. In one company, Abdul had occasion to mention his having been baptized by Mr. Brown. Someone inquired, Where is Mr. Brown now? Abdul, He is where he has long intended to go. He is no longer in this world. They said, That is very well. May you soon go after him, and no longer make this ado about your religion. Abdul, I do indeed desire to be where Mr. Brown is, and care not how soon I may be taken. But think not this religion depends on Mr. Brown, or on me. For if I were taken away, God can raise up one from among your own selves to supply my place. February 5th. An event occurred today which Abdul related with great pleasure. At Manikpur resides an aged man of venerable appearance, with a flowing white beard who is considered a holy man. 
He is the proprietor of several villages, and is a man of more than ordinary good nature. He has many servants and many disciples, and keeps open house for travellers. On these accounts he is much venerated by his neighbours. His place of worship is held very sacred, and many go thither as on a kind of pilgrimage. On Abdul looking in at the outer gate of the premises, one who was going in said, Come in, and pay your devotions. Abdul, what place is this? It is a holy place. Come in. Abdul, what advantage will arise from my going in? Stranger, why, everybody goes. Abdul, though everybody should act senselessly, why should I? On this the old man came out and asked Abdul who he was. Abdul, I am one of mankind, a servant of God. The master of the house pressed him to go in, and ordered food to be brought for him, and for a Christian lad who was with him. On the food being brought, he himself set it before them, and begged them to eat. Abdul, excuse me, I may not eat of your dishes. Not that I have any objection to eat with you or with anyone, but I am a Christian, and should I eat with you, your disciples would say you had lost caste. You are, at all events, a good man for thus explaining to me, and I am happy to see you. Pray, have the English any books besides histories and books of amusement? Abdul, yes, surely. They have the books of Moses, of the prophets, and the gospel. All the ancient books are in their possession. Yes, the law, the psalms, the gospel, and the Koran. I know there are four divine books. Abdul, well, all these are in the hands of the English— though of these there are many books which you include under the name of the law, mentioning Isaiah and Daniel, and saying that David was the author of the Psalms. Well, said the old man, I never knew that before, and have the English any kind of worship among them? Abdul, certainly they have, but they are taught to shut their door, and to pray to their father who seeth in secret. They place no dependence on outward observances for salvation. Why, if you are to be judged according to your opinions, by your works, you must be condemned. You are required to have on clean clothes when you worship, and that is easily obeyed. But then you are also to exclude the world from your mind, and to worship with the heart intensely fixed on God, repeating a verse of the Koran in proof. Now, do you thus fulfill the precept? The old man said, Oh, no. Abdul then are you not an offender? Alas, yes. Abdul, now the Christians are taught to believe in Jesus as enduring the shame and pain of death on the cross which they deserve, and that, through faith in his sufferings, they shall be saved. They do indeed obey God, yet not of themselves, but by his grace. And their obedience attends their salvation, though not as the price of it. The old man expressed great thankfulness, said he had never heard such things before, told his disciples these were true words, and begged a copy of the gospel, for which, as Abdul had not taken one with him, he walked down, attended by his retinue. On parting, he begged Abdul would give him a sentence to remember. This is a custom between spiritual guides when they part after a visit, and the most absurd expressions are common among them on these occasions. Abdul said, There is no such custom among Christians, but I can tell you one sentence which, if you remember and believe, may be of service to you, and that is, 
the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, cleanseth from all sin. He requested Abdul would write to him from time to time on such subjects. February 13th, Saturday, arrived at Cawnpore. On Sunday, Abdul's brother and his nephew came from Lucknow to meet him. They received him with great affection, and wished to eat with him, and to be one with him in all things. Abdul wisely would not suffer them, until they should understand the grounds of his conversion, when they might choose. They brought word that a great stir had been made in Lucknow, on the report of his baptism reaching that place. One night a crowd collected at his father's house, and demanded that he should openly renounce his apostate son, or they should suspect him also of becoming a Christian. He and the brothers declared they would not renounce Abdul, who always behaved kindly, and now wrote to them with great affection. A tumult ensued, which required the interference of the Kutwal or mayor, and the report was carried to the Nabob's sons, if not to the Nabob himself. The great men took the part of Abdul's family, and threatened the other party. These circumstances were partly known, and it had been determined as most advisable for Abdul not to go to Lucknow for the present. But on being told of his family's continued goodwill and favourable disposition to the gospel, as also that his father, mother, brothers, and sisters with their children, had determined on coming to see him if he would not go over, the sisters also resolving to risk the displeasure of their husbands rather than not to see him, Abdul thought he ought to go, and we, commending him to the Lord, sent him with his brother and nephew, with one servant to bring us word of his welfare. Abdul is well known here, and his return has excited much talk about religion. It would occupy too much time to record every part of the conversation which he held the first day he went to the bazaar. It would explain exactly what is recorded of St. Paul's disputing daily in the market. Acts chapter 17, verse 17. One circumstance seems worthy to be remembered, as it shows that the natives are well aware that Christianity requires diligence and business. A fakir by trade, unseen Abdul, cried out, Ho, oh, you seller of your faith, will you give me anything? Abdul, if you desire to purchase spiritual blessings, I may perhaps be able to supply you, but as to worldly things, I have little to give. What I have I labor for, and you are able to work for your provision as well as I. The fakir replied, So I expected. Now you are become English. You would be for setting me to work. I know their way is, work for your bread, work for your bread. On the evening of Sunday the 21st, we were agreeably surprised by the return of Abdul from Lucknow. He found the ill-will of his former friends so much excited that he did not leave his father's house during the day he stayed there. In the evening he went to a friend's house, and had much discussion on the subject of religion. He gave ten copies of St. Matthew to different persons who desired them, and prudently withdrew privately, and praised God, he said, when he set foot on British territory. Two days after his return, his father, two brothers, and two nephews came over. Their prejudices appear removed. They joined in prayer, both in private and in church, and declared their intention of embracing Christianity. Most of their inquiries were on the subject of our Lord's divinity, of which, after having seen the evidences from the Old and New Testaments, they seemed convinced. Their parting with Abdul was very affecting. The old man threw his arms round his son's neck, and wept plentifully. 
Abdul was much moved, and said, I pray, sir, forbear your tears. My lord hath said, He that loveth brother or sister or father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Well, well, said the old man, but I am returning to calamity. I know many will try to trouble me, but I will give up these, turning to his two grandchildren, to be educated in Christianity. I commit them to Jesus Christ. God grant that that country, look now, may soon come into the possession of the British. Then we might live in peace. Abdul reminded him that God would deliver him, and that his peace is alone worth caring for. True, said the younger brother, and these lads we commit to Christ. During the rains I also will come and stay some months with you. End of Appendix Part 1